Thank you, Jesus. Okay, we're going to pick up and continue where we left off last week. I was going to kind of, I was going to, I'm planning to stay in the book of Hebrews, and I was going to look at another uh, area in the book of Hebrews, but all week as I just prayed and listened to my heart, I just, I couldn't get away from this uh, issue uh, of where we left off last week. And so I'm going to try to close the gap on any open, you know, I don't know, thoughts or holes or whatever, um, and, and try to hopefully answer some questions as we go on and, and just bridge the gap. You know what I mean? It's um, Today could be uh, one of the more challenging, uh, I, I don't know, thoughts or truths you, you, you've heard before. It, it, maybe not. Um, we're going to pick up, we're going to start back in Hebrews chapter 8 and, and, and quickly review and then uh, look at some other things along the way here. Hebrews chapter 8, and I will be starting in the King James. And I say this again, uh, I, just a reminder. Uh, it's, it's been said, based off of a particular study uh, at one time, just, you know, a poll, that the book of Hebrews um, is the least read and studied epistle of all the New Testament epistles. And I think that that much is evident uh, based upon some of the things that are, some of the wrong things that are believed, and I myself have, have been in that same camp. Uh, let me say this, the book of Hebrews contradicts uh, 99% of what's typically taught on forgiveness and uh, uh, righteousness and fellowship with God, just that whole vein of how clean and holy that we are. Um, the book of Hebrews is extremely challenging. Um, and so we're going to look at some more things today. And again, I, I exhort you. Uh, I love what Andrew Womack, you know, I, I reference it all the time. Andrew Womack says, most Christians don't let the Bible get in the way of what they believe. And, and we've all been there, you know. When all you know is all you know, that's all you know, you know. <laughs> so it, it's, it's uh, let's let the Word of God challenge us, correct us, and uh, properly instruct us. And we're going to look at some things here. Again, picking up where we left off last week. Again, uh, it's going to be challenging, but it can be very, very, very beneficial. Um, you know, it's been said, uh, I've heard it said, uh, that forgiveness of sins is nothing more than a uh, ABC baby doctrine. You learn that the day you get saved, and that's it. You need to go on to mature stuff. And I think it's just the opposite. I think forgiveness of sins is, is at the very heart of the gospel. And um, if you don't build on the proper foundation, the rest of the house isn't going to stand correctly when storms come. Amen? Now, Jesus said in John chapter 8 that once you know the truth, 
the truth will make you free. And, and that's sort of a, uh, I don't know, a litmus test that, that I judge doctrine against. And, and when I say judge doctrine, I don't mean being judgmental in a, in a critical sense. You understand? I just, uh, you know, properly endeavoring to properly discern doctrine when I hear it. Okay? Now, one of the problems that happens is that those of us who, uh, and it's, I can only speak from my experience, so this won't apply to everyone, but, but I was born and raised in a spirit-filled, charismatic, Pentecostal, tongue-talking, whatever kind of environment. And for, for us in that camp, all too often, we, we get over here and we say, well, we know something about tongues. We know something about healing. So we know more than all those other people, and we can't really learn a whole lot from them. And we get just as mean and dogmatic and critical as any other group is with our pet doctrines. Hello. I, um, I heard Brother Hagen say, he, he, say one time, he said that we spirit-filled people got just as many traditions as any other group, and God help you if you cross one of them. <laughs> Amen. And he was joking about how, you know, we say we're non-denominational, but that's our denomination. <laughs> you know, so, so let's not do that. Let's let the, you know, the book of Acts speaks of the, it calls them the noble Bereans. They studied the Word. They let the Word uh, uh minister to them and teach them what truth is. Now, Hebrews chapter 8 here, starting in verse 6, we're going to look at the finished work of forgiveness. Now, last week I called it better covenant, better blood. And today I'm continuing that, and I'm just calling this better covenant, better forgiveness. And there, there must be a difference between old covenant forgiveness and new covenant forgiveness. Now, don't turn there. But I mean, you can, but I'm not turning there. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, the Apostle Paul said, Rightly divide the word of truth. So there is a division, and we need to make that division, okay? So, so that's really what the book of Hebrews uh, does. It makes a clear division between the, uh, the old covenant of law and the new covenant of grace. And there is a difference, okay? Now, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. But now he, talking about Jesus, uh, hath obtained a more excellent ministry by, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which is established upon better promises. Now, what makes the new covenant that Jesus mediates better than the old? Well, thank God the rest of the chapter tells us. Now, healing, as I said last week, Healing and provision are not the better promises because they had that in the Old Covenant. All right? Think about Moses. He was an old man, and it says his eyes weren't dim and his natural forces hadn't weakened or abated in the King James. So he was strong and healthy even as an old man. The children of Israel, God supernaturally provided for them. He gave them manna, and, of course, we know he provided other things for them as well. But, you know, so that's not the difference. Now, the book of Hebrews here tells us what the difference is. Now, let's look down here. Jump down to verse, um, uh, verse, verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make. I know this is review, but just stick with me. It's good to be reminded. Forgiveness, I have seen, is one of the hardest transitions for the believer to make. All right? For this is the covenant that I will make 
with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law into their mind, write them in their heart, and I will be to them a God, and they will be to me a people. In other words, the new birth. I don't have to live by external commands. I have God's law. Now, what is the new covenant commandment? 1 John chapter 3 tells us, believe in Jesus, love the brethren. Are you out there? If I do that, I can't go wrong. All right? Now, they shall be to me. I'll be their God. They'll be to my people. Verse 11, they'll not teach every man his neighbor, saying, know the Lord, for all will know me from the least to the greatest. Why? Because they're born again. Verse 12, now here, here's the crux of the new covenant. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. Can you say, uh-huh? Now, what, what happens is we read a verse like that and we start putting stuff into a verse like that that's not there. God said, now let me say, I've quoted this many times. Brother Hagen, I heard him say one time that sin no longer stands between God and man. The only thing standing between God and man is Jesus Christ. And I think that's good news. And that, that alone is so, I mean, how far we've missed that understanding. You know what I mean? Unfortunately. Now, let's jump over quickly to chapter 9. A little review here along the way. Chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. And we will be looking at several verses today. Now, verse 22, Hebrews 9, 22. And almost all things by the law are purged with blood. Now, the next part of this verse is one of the most powerful revelations I think we could ever receive. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Remission, I've heard people try to dissect it and make goofy doctrine. It's, it's the same word as the word forgiveness. Very often in the New, one, one is just a noun, the other is a verb. And so they translate, usually forgive as the verb, remission as a noun. But it is the same word, just so you know that. Okay, so think about this. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So when God extends forgiveness to someone, He has to shed blood. Right? Without, again, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Let me say this. Blood is the currency of forgiveness. So if I owe, if, if, if I owe Heidi $100, I cannot bring her 100 pencils. Or can I? Wait a minute. No. <laughs> See, pencil and, you know, money are not of equal value. Now, there might be somewhere where pencil is a great currency. If it is, I need to move there. But, you know what, I'm, am I making sense? It's, I don't owe her pencil. I owe her money. Okay? So think about this. This world's currency is one of monetary, it's money. Now, in the kingdom of God, blood is the currency for forgiveness. That makes sense, right? Simple enough. Now, Think about this. In, uh, we covered this last week. Think about this, though. In, under the law, 
Every time they sinned, they took an animal, they went to the priest, they put their hand on his head, confessed their sin, slit his throat, and the priest did the rest. When there was forgiveness needed, there was blood shed every time. Now, in the new covenant, how many times has blood been shed for our forgiveness? One time. Hallelujah. What does that mean? Well, we're going to find out. Let's keep reading. Jump over to chapter 10 real quickly, and then we're going to look at some new verses here. Chapter 10, Hebrews 10, and I'm going to read this in the New Living Translation. And let me just say this. You can make a mental note or just a real note of this. One of the key differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant is the system of forgiveness. Under law, there is a sin-by-sin forgiveness system. Forgiveness is released upon every sacrifice for sin. There was sin-by-sin forgiveness. In the New Covenant, the book of Hebrews has, and we're going to look at it here, once-for-all forgiveness. And it is a vast difference, okay? Now, again... Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So blood was shed for my sins one time. For your sins, for our sins, you understand. Blood was shed one time. Now, in the modern church, we have cliches that are uh, harmful and untrue. So today, uh, if a chair sins, I'll tell, you know, chair, you need to get that sin under the blood. Well, the problem with that is blood has already been shed for that sin, and there's no fresh administration of blood being, uh, you know, shed and administered anymore. Sorry. Somebody out there turning off lights. Anyways, so blood has been shed one time. All right, now, remember in John chapter 1 and other, in the other Gospels, what did John the Baptist say about Jesus? Behold... The Lamb of God, Jesus was walking their way where John was down there rebuking the Pharisees and baptizing people, having a good time, who takes away the sin of the world. Now, 1 John chapter 3 says, For this reason was the Son of God manifested, that He might take away the sin of the world. And I I read that and I always think to myself, did He succeed? Yes. Yes. So Jesus has taken away the sins of the world. So sins are not the issue between humanity and God. Sin has been dealt with. Now that sounds like a really simple point, and people will accept that uh, theologically, but people have a really hard time accepting that on a practical daily level. Now, getting our mind going in this direction. I wish I had a board up here, but... I may have to get one. Jesus died on the timeline of history. Jesus died, you know, we'll say the end of this rug here, the very end down there by the door, was 2,000 years ago. Well, I lived some 2,000 years later. Now, Jesus, think about this. Humanity's sin has been dealt with, past, present, and future. When Jesus died, he paid for the price of, the, of the, the, the saints of old who were in Abraham's bosom. He died for the people there currently, and he died for all of humanity to come's 
to, to come, all of their sins. Jesus will never die for sin again. So one sacrifice, one shedding of blood was good for all sins, for all people, for all time. So somebody says, you know, it, it gets, because you tell, you know, Jesus has died for, now think about this, and this is radical. Jesus has forgiven you of all your sins, past, present, and future. And somebody says, how in God's green earth can you say Jesus forgive, forgave you of a future sin? The logical question is you better hope he forgave your future sins because he died 2,000 years ago. All of your sins were in the future. It's, only, it's logical, right? What was that? Uh, it's only logical. Was that Spock? Who used to say it's only logical? Yeah, Spock. It's only logical. Well, he died 2,000 years ago. It's all of our sins were in the future. He's never going to die again. That sounds so simple, but multiple places in the Scriptures may go to great lengths to make that point, okay? So, one sacrifice for all sins, for all people, for all time. Now, Hebrews chapter 10, a few verses here. Check this out. Verse 1. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, but not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under... Now, check this out. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. Okay? Now, he's specifically here referring to the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16. You can read it. We call it Yom Kippur. Now, think about this. They did have all of the, the individual daily sacrifices. If you sinned, you know, uh, you cuss somebody out at work, you go home, you, you got to go kill an animal, whatever. You know, you commit a sin. Now, but, but they had, uh, we'll say it this way, a yearly or an annual forgiveness here. Because the Day of Atonement just covered it all, just in case. You know what I'm saying? Like, just, we got the little ones, but we're going we're gonna to cover everybody. Just one big one. So let me say it this way, and, and, it, and it bears out here. They had a yearly redemption, a yearly forgiveness. Now, isn't that sad that people who killed animals for their forgiveness had yearly forgiveness, but we have the Son of God Himself, and we don't think we even have momentary forgiveness? We think it's a moment by moment. So we're saying the blood of Jesus is less powerful than the blood of bulls and goats. All right? Now, Hebrews chapter 9, we didn't read it today. We read it last week. says that through the blood of Jesus, He has provided eternal redemption. Everybody say eternal redemption. Now, Ephesians 1 and Colossians both tell us that redemption is the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus has provided eternal forgiveness of sins. He doesn't pay for it over and over and over again. All right, now look here in verse 2. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. Can you imagine if, you, if, you know, if, if I found a, a, a source of you know, magical water and you could take a shower in it one time and it would perpetually keep you clean, you'd never have to take a shower again. Wouldn't that be awesome? It's kind of what he's saying here, you know, in a sense, in regard to sin. If it would have cleaned them perfectly, they would have never had to come and shed blood again. Well, guess what? That's what we have. Perfect cleansing. That's what he says here. He says, for the worshipers would have been purified. Check this language out here. If words mean anything to you, check this out. Once 
for all time. All right? And their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. Verse 3, but instead, uh, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. Verse 4, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats can take away sins. Now, jump down to verse uh, 10. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. What's it say? Once for all time. Somebody say, yeah, boy. Made holy by the blood of Jesus. Think about it. Once for all time. All right? So, this idea that you have to get every new sin under the blood is impossible. It can't happen because blood was shed once, and He took away our sin once. Now, think about it. Um, th- this really opens up a, a beautiful can of worms. You know what I mean? The, the practical uh, applicability of this. Now, look, look in verse 11. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, again and again, which can never take away sins. Verse 12, but our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for all sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. Verse 14 here, for by that one offering... He forever made perfect those who are made holy. So through one sacrifice, Jesus perfects us forever. Now think about all the goofy stuff we preach that contradicts this. One that I pick on all the time is the out-of-fellowship heresy, because that's what it is. It's a heresy. If we keep reading chapter 10, he, he does away with that whole notion, verse 20, 21, 22. He says, we always draw near to God with a heart full of assurance. Assurance, not, you know, rejection, but assurance of our acceptance before Him because of the blood. So I'm never to approach God on the basis of how good Jordan is, because Jordan can never be good enough. Okay, now think about this. We're going to look at some other scriptures here, but think about how there's so many, so many ways to look at this. I don't want to overdo it. The out-of-fellowship heresy, that's a big one. I, was, that one. I was raised on that one, you know what I mean? I cut my teeth on out-of-fellowship. Every time you sin, you're out-of-fellowship with God. Well, the problem with that is if that were the case, the only way to be brought back into fellowship with God would not be through me saying, I'm sorry, please forgive me, I promise to do better. It would be for blood to be shed. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. We're not forgiven through, I'm sorry, I'll do better. It might be good to say you're sorry and try to do better, but you're not forgiven through that. We're forgiven through the blood of Jesus. So now 1 Corinthians 6.17 says this, He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with Him. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and many other places say that we are members of Jesus' body. So if a sin puts me out of fellowship with God, then that would put Jesus out of fellowship with Himself because I'm one with Him. Are you following me? If a sin detached me from the body of Christ, then that would mean every time we sin, Jesus gets another part amputated because I'm a member of His body. Now, how foolish is this type of thinking? Legalism is always nonsensical. 
It doesn't make sense if you just walk it out to, to its logical explanations. Okay? Now, check this out. We're going to look at several different verses today. That was kind of some review there. Real quickly, uh, I want you to turn to, to start here. So much to cover. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Now we're going to look at how God did this. Now, the issue today is not a sin issue. It's a sinner issue. Okay? So think about this. There's only, I think... Probably all of us in here would agree there's how many paths to heaven? One. His name is Jesus. Okay, in the same token, there's only one path to hell. That's rejecting Jesus. So rejecting the gift of salvation. So people do not go to hell for their individual sins. They go to hell because of the sin nature that they have. It's not even an option. It's the only possible destination because of their nature. Okay? Now... The, uh, in book of Revelation 20, 21, uh, John lays out, the, uh, there's two different judgments. There's the judgment seat of Christ for all whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So, entrance to heaven is granted upon the fact that my name is in the book because I'm in the Lamb. I'm in Jesus. So, good works will play no part into my, I can never, there's not one ounce of, of having, being good enough to being led into heaven. Jesus even talked about that in Matthew chapter 7. We covered it a, a little while back there. He said, many will say unto me, Lord, I did this. Lord, I did that. Lord, I had these good works. Oh, and look what I did over there. Look how many people I helped here. And Jesus will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. So all their good works outside of being born again are going to land them in hell. Jesus was saying that when you take your good works and try to use them to bargain with God for righteousness, it's a work of iniquity, and it'll land a person in hell. Only being in Him. You know, I would, I would exhort you if, you know, if you think about, you know, if you play out this scenario, you know, you stand before the gate, you know, the gate there, and there's Peter, and he says, why should I let you in? Or God says it. Somebody, you know, why should I let you in? Well, I went to church, and I gave a bunch of money, and I was really good, and I was a good boy, and I didn't cuss too much. And you may want to make sure you're born again, because works play no part in the salvation experience. It is impossible to. It can't happen. It's a faith issue. Jesus removed the work. If works could get people into heaven, God should have left the law intact, because that was all about works. Now, the other scenario is the judgment seat of God for the unbeliever, the great white throne judgment. And here's what he says. If you've read it, you'll remember this. He, he says that God's going to call up uh, death, hell, and the grave, and everybody who's, who's you know, dead and spiritually dead at that, and they're going to stand before God. And here's what he says. He lists all these people. You know, he says, you know, whoremongers and drunkards and sorcerers and all this stuff. But you know what the first two that he mentions that are in the lake of fire the fearful and the unbelieving. That's the first two. Fearful and unbelieving. 
So in other words, fear is just as much, not trusting God and living in fear is just as much a sin as sorcery and you got to love the King James, whoremongering and drunkenness and adultery, all of that. All right, now, what did Jesus say in John 16? When the Holy Spirit has come, He will convict the world of what sin? Singular sin. Unbelief. Because they believe not in me. So that's the ministry of the, to show you that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. So there's only two options. I'm born again. I'm in the book of life. I'm not born again. My, my name's not in the Lamb's book of life. That's the only, there isn't this middle section for, yeah, I was saved, but I wasn't a good boy all the time. Praise God for being a good boy all the time. But if you've lived long enough, you found out by now you're not always a good boy. Even on your best day. Hello. All right, now. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 19. This is how God ha has set the system up, if you will. It was God, uh, and I'm in the Amplified right now. Sorry, I didn't tell you that. I don't think, maybe I did. 2 Corinthians 5, 19. It was God personally present in Christ, reconciling and restoring the world, not the church, the world, to favor with Himself. Not counting up and holding against men their trespasses, but canceling them. Jesus has canceled the sin debt. It's been canceled. All right? Now, and committing to us this message of reconciliation. That's our message to the world. God is not mad at you. God loved you so much that while you were a sinner, He died for you. He paid the sin debt. You're in His favor. Just believe it and receive it. All right? Verse, verse, uh, verse well, 20 and 21. We are Christ's ambassadors. God makes His appeal uh, as it were through us. We are Christ's personal representatives. We beg you for His sake to lay hold of of this divine favor that's now offered to you and be reconciled to God. Verse 21, for our sake, he made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin so that in him, King James just says real simple, we might be the righteousness of God in him. Now, turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. So our appeal to the world is not stop sinning. If they could stop sinning, they wouldn't need Jesus to begin with. Our world, our message to the world is God dealt with your sin. He's reconciled you to Himself. He did this. Just believe it and accept it. That's the, that's the simple gospel. You're forgiven. You're accepted. Believe it. Receive it. That's really simple, you know. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, back in the King James here. My little children, these things I write to you, uh, that you sin not. And if any man does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So he is, the, the, my, and the next verse says this, propitiation. He's my perpetual advocate. My perpetual favor, my perpetual redemption before God. Verse 2, He is the propitiation for our sins. Now check this next part out. Not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. That is awesome. Everybody say, good news. 
Amen? That is the good news. Now, to drive the nail in the coffin here, let, let me say it again, and we're going to look at several, ver- several more verses here. God is not dealing with your sins, my sins, or anybody's sins on a sin-by-sin basis. Remember Hebrews 10. He, he, he dealt with sin once for all. It's all sin, all people, all time. It's not a sin issue. It's a sin nature issue. That makes sense, right? It's not stop sinning. It's receive the Son. He took care of my sin. If I could take care of it, I wouldn't need the Son. Okay? So Jesus dealt with sin. Now think about this. There is a world of people. Just use yourself as an, as an example. From the time you were born till this very moment, you've been a perfectly forgiven person by God. Perfectly forgiven. Now, you don't feel forgiven because when we sin, we feel terrible if you're born again. You don't, you, you don't feel good about it because it's not your nature to sin. But the payment has always been paid, and it's never been revoked. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. He'll never change his mind about the gift of forgiveness. He'll never revoke or change his mind about the salvation or redemption or forgiveness that he's offered to us. We are a forgiven people. person gets born again. Technically, they're not getting forgiven. They're receiving the forgiveness that was already laid up to their account. Okay? Now, let's look here. Jump down to verse 12. Now, in the New Testament epistles, forgiveness is referred to as a past tense event. This this is already an accomplished fact. Okay? Verse 12. I write unto you, little children... Because your sins are forgiven you for His namesake. So I'm not forgiven when I feel like I'm forgiven. Because your feelings will lie to you. If I was saved when I felt like it, I wouldn't be saved a lot of the time. What about you? Because you don't always feel like it. But we're not saved because we feel like it. We're saved because it's a faith issue. I don't have to feel safe. I believe I'm saved. Amen? Now... Jump over. We're going to look at a few verses here that that really clarify this issue. Now, here's what I don't want you to do. When you teach on something like this, people say, yeah, but what about this verse? What about that verse? What about this? I'm not asking us to ignore all those verses because we only have a little bit. You know, we can't cover the whole Bible in one hour. But I'm asking you, don't ignore these verses. Because the mentality is, well, it's better safe than sorry, so I'm going to lean towards the hellfire and brimstone instead of, you know, the, the, forgiveness, the forgiveness and the acceptance and all that. Well, let's not ignore these verses, because these verses are true. Amen? All right, Ephesians chapter 1, and I know I'm wearing your hand out here, but I think it'll be well worth it. Ephesians chapter 1, and let's look at how these epistles... Deal with forgiveness. Now, we just read in 1 John chapter 2. John said, my little children, your sins are forgiven you. All right? Now, remember in Luke chapter 5, whenever Jesus was teaching in the house? Now, here's what it says. He was teaching in the house, and it says, the Pharisees were present. And then this is what it says. The power of the Lord was present to heal them. Now, remember, they weren't receiving from Jesus, so there came a man, and he couldn't get inside the house, so they had to remove part of the roof, and they let him down. Now, it says, when Jesus saw their faith, 
Now, what did the Jews teach? And you see this in the Gospels over and over, that if you're sick, God made you sick because you're sinful. All right? So, Jesus said this. It says, when he saw the man, he said to him, your sins are forgiven you. And then it said the Pharisees got mad. Teaching pure forgiveness will always make the legalist in all of us mad. Hello. It's hard to accept a perfect, completed forgiveness. All right? Now, here's the problem. As faith people, we understand Jesus paid the price for my healing. By his stripes, I was healed. We, we associate that as a past event. He paid the price for my healing one time. I don't care what I think. I don't care what I feel. I don't care what my body says. I refuse. It's not, it's not untrue. I'm not denying the facts, but I'm just choosing to believe a greater truth that he's my healer, and by his stripes, I was healed. Now, that happened in the past, and we accept that. I'm healed because I believe I'm healed, not because I feel healed. And then you could go down anything else in the provision. He paid for it one time, 2 Corinthians 8 9. Peace, joy, Jesus paid for all of it. So, so when I need that, God's not doing something per se. I'm just receiving from the finished work. Amen. Now, but when it comes to forgiveness, we always treat that differently. Like that's somehow still a question. Like that's not just as completed as healing or anything else is. We treat that based on our performance and based on how we feel about it at the time. And it's a shame because if there wasn't forgiveness, the other stuff wouldn't work either, which is probably why we don't receive better than we do sometimes because we don't really believe the sin issue's been settled. Are you out there? Okay, (laughs) hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Look at this. In whom... We have redemption. Not getting it, not working on it, not perpetually getting it. It's happened. We have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins. So we have forgiveness. Not working on it, not praying for it, not trying to get it, not being good enough for it. Don't get it when I go to church. It's a finished work, and we have it. Now look at this. According to the riches of His grace. So I'm as forgiven according to the same degree that His grace is rich, if you will. I'm forgiven according to the riches of His unmerited favor, not my deserving it. Now, it's so funny. We, we think you got to be, you know, you don't have to be perfect, but you got to meet the, the, the minimal quota, right? That's kind of in order to somehow stay forgiven. It's, if you deserved it, it wouldn't be forgiveness, <laughs> I know that sounds simple. It's forgiveness because you made a mistake. It's forgiveness because you don't deserve it. It's forgiveness because we sin. Are you out there? So I never meet some quota to somehow deserve it and to stay in God's good graces. If I could stay in His good graces by my works, I wouldn't have needed Jesus to begin with. All right? Now, in whom we have redemption. What does Hebrews 9 say? It says we have we read it last week, not today. I believe it's verse 12, maybe 15. We have eternal redemption. This says redemption is the forgiveness of sins. So we have the gift of eternal forgiveness. Amen? Now, let's jump over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Just a few minutes. We're about through here. Ephesians chapter 4. 
Now check this out. Verse 32, last verse in the chapter. He says, And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. You know, when I read that, I, I think sometimes like, if we would just be nice, we wouldn't even hardly need miracles. If Christians would stop being so stinking religious and, and nose in the air and self-righteous and thinking we're better than somebody, and quit thinking that's, you know, if we would stop judging people just because they sin differently from us, hello? It's like the whole gay marriage thing. You know, I, I, I'm not for gay marriage. I, I'll never, you know, or, uh, ordain or officiate or marry a gay couple, uh, but I'll still love them. But here's the issue. Even if they don't get married, they're still gay. Hello? You, you, you know, I, I've, I've told you guys before, the gay guy that Karen and I, we were at lunch a few years ago, me, Karen, another minister who came up from Orlando, and he came to us. He was clearly feminine. He was clearly gay. And um, so he started talking to us, you know, about some of that. And what had happened to him was he had been molested uh, over and over and over again by his grandfather. And so, you know, and you know how that affects people, you know, so severely. And so he became a homosexual essentially as a result of it. And the, uh, the woman that was with us, the minister kept telling him, you need to, you know, because he believed in Jesus, but he, I don't know if he was born again. I don't think he was because of the way he talked about it. But he was saying, you know, you know I know it's wrong. I, uh, I've just struggled with it. Uh, by the way, let me say this. You know, you could be born again and still struggle with something like homosexuality, and it doesn't mean you're not saved. Did you ever judge someone before you got saved? Have you judged someone since you got saved? Okay, nonetheless. Now, again, don't judge someone just because they sin differently from you. Now, so she, you know, you need to change. You need to stop that. You need to start going to church. You need to repent of that. You need to tell God you're sorry. You need to quit doing that. You need to get away from your boyfriend. You need to giving him a list of rules. And he told us that he already knew it was wrong. So the knowledge of it being a sin didn't provide the power to change. Does that make sense? Just because I know it's wrong doesn't give me the ability to stop doing it. And so Kara and I just kept ministering to him. And I was telling him, look, man, the Lord loves you just as you are, period. No strings attached. Then I'd tell him if there, if there needs to, because he knew it was a sin. He told us that. I said, look, you know it's a sin, but you can't change yourself. If you could have changed on your own ability, you already would have a long time ago, right? Yeah. So I just kept, you know, the Lord loves you. Just go, come to Jesus Talk to Him, accept Him, love on Him, let Him love on you. And if you need to change, He'll change you. Now, that is so hard for, for the Pharisee in us who wants to say, you need to stop, you know, again, because they sin differently from us. But the knowledge of sin didn't help him to change. And then it was later on, and I've told you guys this, he emailed me and said, I want to thank you. You and your wife were the first Christians who didn't judge me. And this is what he said. And who didn't make me feel like some possessed creature who couldn't be fixed. How sad is that? I mean, it was good that we got to be the love that he needed. But how sad that in his estimation, and his view and experience, we were the first Christians who didn't bark at him and give him a, bunch of to, a big to-do list to get right with God. He said we were the first ones who didn't, I still got the message, who didn't make him feel like some possessed creature. It's terrible. Thank God, you know, we got to be that. I'm just saying, based on the past of that, that we were the first ones. It's terrible. But see, that's God's message to the world. 
I'm not imputing your sins against you. Now, think about John chapter 8, and I'm closing. Jesus, who is God. So how does God feel about me when I'm good, when I'm bad, when I'm right, when I'm wrong, when I'm good, holy, when I sin? Okay, if I want to know how God thinks about me and, and feels towards me, I have to look at Jesus. So according, you know, don't commit adultery, one of the big ten. What was the punishment for that? Take them out in, in, in the children of Israel. You break that commandment, you take them outside the camp, you stone them to death. So Jesus, God in the flesh, John chapter 8, has a woman, comes into the service, the Pharisees interrupt God's church service and says, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Moses says to kill her, what do you say? And then we don't know exactly what he did, but this is the time when Jesus got down on the ground, and it was a dirt ground, by the way, not stone, and, and, and he wrote, uh, excuse me, it was stone, not dirt, and he wrote, he, 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 meant, he, he wrote, he, he, he motioned, he, we, we don't know what he said, all right? But he said something to them that pricked their conscience. And then it says he knelt down and did it again on that stone floor of that temple. And it says they were convicted and pricked in their own conscience, the same guys who came into Stoner. And he said, whichever one of you is without sin, you can cast the first stone. Have at it, boys. And it says from the greatest, the eldest, to the, the youngest, to the least of them, they dropped their stones and left. That is awesome. Jesus will always disarm accusation against us. Isaiah chapter 54 says this. It says, any tongue that rises up against you, you shall condemn it. Because, we don't ever finish the verse, their righteousness is of me, says the Lord. Any tongue that rises against you, you will condemn it. Because his righteousness is our righteousness. Then Jesus told her the most phenomenal thing. Just, you, you could just feed on this every day and get more out of it. He said, woman, where are your condemners, your accusers? She was crying. She looked up, baffled. Uh, I'm sure more joy than we could comprehend. I mean, if you, if you just found out you're about to be killed, and not even a good one. You know, like, I don't know what a good way to die is, but I'm pretty sure being stoned to death would really vacuum and not be on the top of the ways I want to die, the top of the list. You know what I'm saying? I'm sure there's better ways to die. And so she, she knows this is about to happen. Jesus puts a stop to it. Then he says to her, neither do I condemn you. Go, sin no more. See, that's the gospel message. No condemnation is first. Jesus did not say, don't sin anymore and I won't condemn you. That's what the church has said. Jesus said, I don't condemn you, period. Go sin no more. Not, no condemnation was not contingent upon not sinning. But not sinning, I believe, is the result of no condemnation. How awesome is that? Now, we've got we to close here. I've got a few more verses and we're done. Ephesians 4.32, forgive one another. Look at this. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. So before the cross, the message was forgive others and God will forgive you. But if you don't forgive, God won't forgive you. But after the cross, it's totally the opposite of that. Jesus says here in Ephesians 4, forgive as you've been forgiven. It's totally the opposite of that. Well, which one's right? They were both right in their dispensation. Before the cross, forgive. Matthew uh, chapter 7, Jesus talked about it. Forgive. If you don't forgive, your Father won't forgive you. You'll be forgiven according to the degree that you forgive others. After the cross, the payment for... That was before the, the cross. After the cross, the payment's been made. Forgive as you've been forgiven. It's the total opposite. 
And that makes it easy, man. It's easy to forgive someone when you realize how perfectly and completely and thoroughly forgiven you've been. You, are, are, you know what I'm saying? Jesus said, freely you've received, freely give. Well, it's hard to give it if I don't understand how freely I've received it. But if I realize how forgiven I am, it helps. Uh, uh, I can, it, it's helped me tremendously to forgive other people when I'm wrong because I know how forgiven I've been. All right, now quickly, Colossians chapter 1. I'm about to close around here. I just, I'm reading a lot of these verses because I want you to see how the New Testament epistles, after the cross, after sin has been paid for, how the epistles speak of our forgiveness. It's a finished work. It is not an ongoing process. It's not perpetually uh, uh, handed out to you. It's not given in installments. It's a one-time uh, blank check done deal. Colossians chapter 1, look here in verse 13. Who delivered us, talking about Jesus, from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Verse 14, same thing as Ephesians 1. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Same, same language. We have redemption. We have forgiveness. I'm not forgiven on an ongoing basis. If I was, blood would have to be shed every time I sinned. Now jump over to chapter 2 here. And if I'm going too fast, just maybe try to write these down. Or you can even come get them from me after the service if you want. But look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh... He has quickened you or made you alive together with Jesus. How? Having forgiven, past tense, having forgiven you all trespasses. Everybody say all. All trespasses. Now again, the typical mindset is you, for, you get forgiven of all your sins up until the moment you get born again. But then after that, you only forget forgiven when you say, I'm sorry, please forgive me, I'll be a good boy. But that's not true. Been forgiven. Don't put into that verse what's not there. And all that, look at all these verses we've read today that are so clear. Forgiveness, one, one payment for all sins for all time. Forgiven you of all trespasses. Forgiveness only comes through the shedding of blood. I'm not forgiven when I say I'm. You might need to say you're sorry. You might say, help me to do better. Lord, I didn't want to do that. I, you know, help me. I'm sorry. I want, I want to do better in that area. But we're forgiven. 2,000 years ago, just like we were healed 2,000 years ago. We just receive it by faith. Now, last verse, turn to Romans chapter 10, and we are through. Isn't it amazing that there's all... Think about this. When you got saved, somebody probably said, Oh, yeah, but 1 John 1, 9... Or you'll die and go to hell over an unconfessed sin. Why didn't they give us all these other verses that say we've been forgiven? Why do we make this huge doctrine out of one out-of-context verse? Why? I don't know either. Good question, right? <laughs> why, why do we build one out? The only verse in the New Testament epistles that say, confess your sin to God. We make that bigger than all the verses that say, you have been forgiven once for all time. Uh, made holy once by one sacrifice for one time. Forgiven all trespasses. You have redemption. The forgive I mean, there's all these verses, but we get this one, you know, 
what we do is we make ourselves our own Savior. Jesus started it, but I'm going to finish with my continual apology. No, it does not work that way. Thank God it doesn't work that way. Look here, Romans 10, and we're through. Verse 1, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Verse 2, For I bear them record, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Verse 3, here's, here's where so many of us have been. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, go about trying to establish their own right standing with God. They have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. Look at verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law concerning right standing with God to everyone who believes. Verse 5. For Moses describes the righteousness of the law, that is, the man who does them shall live by them. So the law is always about what you're doing. The man who does them live, shall live by them. Verse, five, verse 6, But the righteousness of faith, new covenant righteousness, speaks on this wise. Now this is so key here. Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down from above. Verse 7, Or, who will descend into the deep? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. What in the world does that mean? All he's simply saying here is, again, the righteousness of the law is about what you're doing. The righteousness of faith says this. When you sin, the payment has already been made. Jesus does not have to come down. What's he say there? Who shall ascend and bring Christ down from above? He does not have to come down and pay for it again. Or who has to go into the deep? You know, Jesus, he first went to hell. Uh, Abraham, he, was in, he was in hell, then he went to Abraham's bosom, and then he, he resurrected on the third day. So who's going to bring him down to pay for sin again? And who's going to make him suffer in hell and resurrect from the dead again? In other words, the payment's been made. He doesn't die again every time you sin. So think about this. The only way that you could be more forgiven than you currently are would be for Jesus to die again and shed his blood again. Because forgiveness only comes through the shedding of blood. So it is impossible for God to forgive me more than I'm already forgiven. If He had to make me more clean, more holy, more righteous, more clean, more forgiven, Jesus would have to die again. Because forgiveness only comes through the shedding of blood. But it worked the first time. Amen? Now, look here. Verse 8. But what does it say? The Word is near you. Even in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him, past tense, from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness. Under the law, you try to work into right standing with God. In the new covenant, after the resurrect, death, burial, and resurrection, you believe unto right standing. It's a faith issue, all right? Uh, you believe under right standing with God, and confession is made unto salvation. I'm done. Stand up, and we'll dismiss. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. I went a few minutes over here, but I've, I've got a habit of that. 
pray for me. Now, now look, I know, this, this, I know how challenging uh, this can be. But I just want you to, to, to let those verses that we read interrupt, uh, reformat. You, you understand what I mean? Uh, restructure our belief system. Jesus is never going to die for sins again. Thank, thank God. Thank God it worked the first time. God could not have sent a better lamb. I mean, to, to stand, born again, to stand before God and say, you know what, I'm not really forgiven. I'm only partially forgiven. Is to say, God, Jesus wasn't good enough. I need more sacrifice. I need more blood. I need more forgiveness. But Hebrews said after this man, Jesus, offered himself one time, he forever sat down on the right hand of majesty. In other words, it's finished. There's no more work to be done. He paid the price one time, and he did what the, the Levitical priest could never do. He sat down. Amen?